Amen. Good morning, everyone. Beautiful day outside, driving up, seeing the colors change. This is just all uh, a foreshadow, a foretaste of beauty. Beauty, what you see here, is nothing compared to what you'll see when it all comes together, the way it's supposed to be. We're going to look a little bit at that today. There's a hint of that in our chapter today. But we are looking at chapter 8 in the book of Hebrews. And last week we did chapter 7, and we talked about hope. Who needs hope? We all need hope. And what does a high priest have to do with hope? Well, Jesus, the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek, went in and made the way so that we could have a connection with the Lord without having to obey every jot and tittle of the law. Because Jesus fulfilled all, he puts us together in sync with God as the great high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And hope is what the theme of the past few chapters has been. And I said that hope is always based on something better. So the priest in the order of Melchizedek was better than the priests in the order of Aaron and Levi in the Old Testament covenant law. So we have something better. And now today, you know, hope is based on something better. That's what helps keep us going if we know there's something better ahead. If you didn't think there was anything better ahead, that's what causes you to sludge and drudge and hang your head low and and, and it's hard to wake up. But if you're having an expectation because someone has gone before you and made a way, that can give you some hope. But today we're going to draw on the hope a little bit further and show how that great high priest, Jesus, made a better way, a better covenant than the old covenant, better in that it is a new, a new thing. So this book was written to Jewish Christians who wanted to go back to the old. And sometimes it's easier to stick with the old. The old is familiar, right? It takes faith to move into the new. It was a radical thing to trust in Jesus as Messiah when all the religious Jews of the time were saying, no, you can't abandon the sacrifices and the law and everything like that. And it took some guts. And for us, it takes some guts to follow Jesus because the world isn't in sync with that and says, what are you doing? That's not right. You're, you're crazy. Yes, we are crazy, but we have a hope. We have a hope that endures. We have a hope of eternal life. We have something better. And it's a new thing. God is always about the new. God offers you a new life. If you're tired of the old, you can have new. You can be born again. Trusting in Jesus. You can have a new beginning. And new, people love the new. What happens when you get something new? You get a new car, you're going to clean it much more often than the old car. I have an old car that I just cleaned uh, last week or so, and, and now it feels like it's new, and so I'm valuing it much more. You value the new much more. You order books. I order these used books, but I always go for the very good or like new. You can choose acceptable, good, like new. You just value new better. And uh, we also, we got a new car recently, and that thing gets gets washed a lot more than uh, my old car does. So you value the new, but the Hebrews here were tempted to cling to the old. The old is familiar, and it takes faith to move on to the new. And so we're going to look at how God did away with the old and brought in the new and what that means for me and you. In Hebrews 8, verse 1 to start with. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. First thing says, this is the main point. Always consider the sum. You're reading stuff. What, when you're reading scripture, it's so easy to say, okay, okay, okay. And then we're hearing all about Jesus as the high priest. Okay, okay. But what is the main point? What's the sum? What is the so what? In fact, you know, whenever, whenever we're, you know, that's my goal, you know, giving a, a sermon or something. I'm going to say, so everything has to have a so what. Okay, it's good to know this. It's good to have this information. But so what? How do I apply that? How does it help? And so this is the sum of all things that we are saying. The so what is that we have such a high priest that he's been talking about. Underline the words we have, mentally or, or literally, it's up to you. But underline we have, we have such a high priest. Why do we need such a high priest like we've been talking about? Because I can never get it right. 
I am always messing up. I always have the blunders, and I can never get it right. I'm not sinning, sinning proper. I mean, all sin is a, a falling short of perfection. You know, I'm not doing anything evil, but I'm still, I'm never getting it all right. And I need a mediator. I need a representative, someone to go in. And guess what? I have, we have, we have such a high priest that says, it's okay that you're not 100%. It's not, it's okay that you make blunders and things like that. You're set. It's not going to ruin you. It's not going to take you out. We have, we have, not we're going to have, but we have. And we can be confident as we go to the bold of, go to the throne of grace boldly, we can be confident that God loves us and receives us and accepts us and is not looking at us with squinted eyes saying, well, you know, I heard what you just thought last and I just don't know if I can handle blessing you at this point. We, we have, we have a high priest. We are accepted in the beloved. Jesus has taken care of it all. And that is the sum of what he's saying. And where is this high priest? At the right hand, seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So he is in a place at the right hand of the throne of the majesty. That is the highest place. He's not just entered into heaven. We're all going to enter in. But guess what? It's not just that we have a place. It's not just that we have a seat at the table. But as Jesus is at the right hand and seated, Ephesians chapter 2, 6 says that we are seated with him in heavenly places. He has actually done more than just make a way for us. And he's got, done more than just go into the highest place, but he is the highest one. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty. And that means that we have some authority, we have some power, we have some backing behind us. You know, how does a policeman stop traffic on the road? You know, and this one puts up his hand, but he has no power really to stop traffic. It's the authority behind the badge. It's the authority vested in him. There's a backing behind the policeman in the uniform. We got the uniform of Christ. We put on the righteousness of Christ, and suddenly we have authority to overcome. We can move forward. We don't have to be taken down by the problems, by the spiritual darkness, by the enemies, by what's going on, the circumstances. That's We can't stop them all from coming, but they don't have to have authority over us. We can get over them. We can get past them. Why? Because we have high priest. And last week we looked at Hebrews 7.25 that he's always interceding for us. He's not abandoned you. He's not left his post. He can't be taken out. But we can when we don't believe. We've got to always go back to this. We have. And he's at the highest place of authority. And I'm with him. If I can get that into my heart, that I believe that, that'll change things as well. But let's move on to uh, Hebrews 8, verse 2. He's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. So here you have the one who is the highest authority. This is this is our Lord. This is our God. Highest authority. Highest of highest. The, the biggest. And yet, he's a minister. What is a minister? One who serves. He, our God serves. And we don't think about this all the time, but I saw it when I was in China. I saw people always bowing to idols and always having to light candles and incense. And, and even though I was in Tibet, I saw people giving to the poor. And, and all they were doing, good things, good works, religious things, not so good things. But all of that was an, an effort to appease a God, a little g God. A God that did not love him, that did not care for him, that did not have a high priest that was taking care of every blunder and mess up and not, not able to live up to everything. And it's all about appeasing. Here we have the highest of highest, the one worth appeasing, the one we should be bowing to and being submissive to, and yet he's a minister. He's serving us. How about that? And Jesus told the disciples, he said, whoever wants to be great among you, Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. Matthew 20, verse 26. You think about greatness. It's not wrong to be one, to, to want to be great. It's just that people usually have the wrong idea about what great is. I'm the big cheese, the head honcho, the, the big potato. It's what we called them, the principles of the school in China. The big potato. You're the big potato. I'm the small French fry. Um, but, you know, 
who wants to be great is not a, a wrong thing to want to be great, but what makes someone great? It's one who serves, one who gives themselves, gives for others and looks to others. You know, you go to any funeral and you hear what people are saying, you'll, you know, this was a great person. Usually it, you'll get that sense because they're talking about all the ways they impacted someone's life. They, they invested in someone's life. They served in other people. They served the community, things like that. That's what makes them great. And he's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected. And the true tabernacle, what is the true tabernacle? You know, in the, in the days of Moses, they built a tabernacle in the wilderness. It was a tent and it had the outer courts. It had the holy place. It had the most holy place where the high priest would go in once a year. And the sacrifices were made in this tabernacle. And then eventually, David had it in his heart. I want to build a temple for the Lord. He wanted to erect a temple for the Lord. And the Lord wouldn't allow David, but allowed Solomon. Solomon built a major, glorious structure, a temple that was incredible. And then it got destroyed later by the Babylonians. And then it got rebuilt again later. And... Uh, and finally, in A.D. 70, it was totally destroyed. That temple was the center place of all things pertaining to God. That was the dwelling place of God. He dwelt in that most holy place. That was the place where people made pilgrimage to offer their sacrifices and offerings. And that's where uh, the high priest would be the go-between to atone for sins. And, and eventually, it all was destroyed in a great act of judgment in A.D. 70. That wasn't the true tabernacle. Hello. That was not the true tabernacle. What is the true tabernacle? The true tabernacle is a spiritual reality, a heavenly reality, something that is everlasting, something that cannot be destroyed. And so there's no, no uh, fear. We can't go there physically at the moment, but we can go there and enter in to where God dwells. In fact, God is said to dwell in us. Did you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul says. So we are a, a true tabernacle, but this is talking about the tabernacle in the spiritual realm. It's an invisible reality. And the next verse, we're going to talk a little bit more about invisible realities. Verse 3 to 5. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also has something to offer. He offered himself. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Okay. And they serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle in the beginning. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown on the mount. So if Jesus were on earth, he couldn't be a priest. This is why he had to die, because he was going to be a priest in the true tabernacle, one that is beyond the things we see. The things we see are a copy, a shadow, a pattern. Moses was given a pattern on the mount, and he was supposed to build the tabernacle according to the pattern. And the copy and shadow, the pattern, is something that goes past what you can see into the true, the everlasting, the real. In other words, everything that Moses built in that tabernacle and everything, for that matter, in the feasts and all the ceremonies, they were all copies and patterns to paint a bigger picture, to point to the reality of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament has all kinds of copies and shadows. You say, okay, so what are we talking about? make it simple, hopefully, is in Exodus, when they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the angel of death would pass over those houses because the blood, God saw the blood, he would not destroy the firstborn of the Israelites. That was a copy and a shadow of what Jesus would accomplish for us. He would shed his blood, the blood over us keeps us safe from judgment. At the end, there will be judgment and we are safe and sheltered because of that blood. It was a copy and shadow in the Old Testament. It's a reality in Christ, and it's a spiritual reality for you and me. Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark 
there were only eight people saved from a, the, the judgment that came upon the world, the flood, but they were safe in that ark. And that's a, a copy, a pattern of we're safe in Christ. We put our faith in Christ. Whatever judgment comes, we are safe in that ark. So you can you can read the Old Testament and you can start to pray and ask, Lord, what is this? How is this revealed in spiritual reality? How is this pointing to the gospel in some way? It makes reading the Old Testament kind of exciting. If you've never had uh, ease reading Old Testament things, read it looking for Jesus, looking for spiritual truths, because everything, as one person said, I think it's Chuck Missler said, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. But the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. So the things we're talking about, all these high priests and things, all of that was new Testament stuff, and it's going to be revealed as you look to Jesus and you see what the New Testament teaches. So it was a copy, and it was uh, supposed to be made after the pattern. And everything in this life, I mean, our lives are being patterned after a walk with the Lord. Everything we do is a shadow of eternal significance. Who you are is very important. It may not seem like anything in the shadow part, but spiritually in Christ, you are safe, you are significant, you have authority, and you have a purpose, you have a destiny, God has a plan, and your purpose here on this earth is a major deal. Well, I don't see that because we need eyes to see. We need faith to see. And that's what he's talking about. Moses had to build something according to the pattern. God has given each and every one of us a pattern to build our lives on. And this pattern, if we do it according to this pattern, it will point to the spiritual realities, the spiritual uh, glories, and the heavenly truths that we need in order to make it in this world. We have to be otherworldly. We have to understand. And so I talked about the uh, leaves out there today coming up on the Tennessee foliage. And it's so beautiful. But, you know, so beautiful in a corrupt and broken world, what will that beauty be in an uncorrupt, sin-free world? In the new Jerusalem, the new order, the new uh, age to come, when Jesus is King of Kings and Lord, he's already King of Kings and Lord of Lords, but when he returns and sets up his kingdom on earth, there's a new heavens, new earth, wherein righteousness dwells. It's written in the book of Peter. And uh, I just say, look at all the things that take our breath away, the beauties out there. And what about when we have the scales dropped from our eyes and we're in a perfect place and none of the corruption can, can hinder that. It's going to be, Incredible. And the same with our relationship with the Lord. You can have fantastic times with the Lord right now. And you can be taken into a heavenly state in prayer. And you can be worshiping and saying the presence of God is here. And all that is just a little foretaste of when everything's going, the curtains are going to open up and the Lord's returning and bringing forth the consummation of his presence in our lives and, and us before him. Right now we walk by faith. Uh, we don't walk by sight because we don't see everything. But we understand that this is all pretty much a shadow, a copy, and a pattern. And uh, we have to learn not to take everything by sense. When I was younger, I wanted to be a rock star. And I was a, a rock star by no means famous or anything. But I played, I just found an old clipping, a uh, newspaper clipping, that I had forgotten about, and it said that our band that I was in won second place in the Battle of the Bands, and in the interview, the person said, and we'd only been together for a few months. I could have had it. You know, only a few months, we made second place. But then I think about, you know, what would have happened if we made first place, and what would have happened if that thing took off? I probably wouldn't be standing here today, and, and you say, well, you'd be a rock star. Yeah, but what's the end of the rock star? What is the, it's all copy and pattern and shadow, and their end, the reality is not good. It might seem that way for now. So much seems that way for now. And some of our trials might seem terrible for now, but they may be working towards a greater good. And I'm thankful to God that he rescued me from being a rock star because I knew I had everything it took, so, right? 
Now, some would say you're a rock star. No. I'm just I'm just playing around. But, uh, anyway, what it's was it? Yeah. Yeah, mic drop. Uh, but revelation, I, I mean, that's living by sense. Everything is living by sense. This says that the Lord revealed something to Moses on the mountain, and we live by revelation. So, and you don't have to be a rock star to live by sense. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious order in, in the days of Jesus, they lived by sense. They too, and that's what blocked them. They had the Holy One of Israel standing in their midst, speaking spiritual truth and offering spiritual life, and it didn't jive with their senses. So rock star or religious Pharisee, it's it's all we live by revelation. And that's why I'm saying we have to go according to the patterns shown us. That's how we understand invisible realities, through the patterns. And the pattern for us is just the word of God, the word that brings life and hope and the promises of God. And uh, we learn to see past what is sensed. That's when hope becomes greater in our lives, learning to see past the scene and look to the invisible. But the things of the eternal are invisible. The things that are temporary are seen. Okay, verse 6 says, But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. So the Jews... What he's writing to the Jews here is that you have to look past the shadow, past the pattern, to the mediator. He is also a mediator. That word also. Also what? Also, well, he's the high priest, but not just a high priest. He's also a mediator. And the mediator does more than a high priest. A mediator brings forth a reconciliation brings forth a reconciliation. The high priest could atone for sins and do the sacrifices, get us okay for a little bit. But a, a mediator will make reconciled with God where we not only get atoned for sins, the blood of Jesus takes away the sins, which gives us a place of being a partaker of God's heavenly nature. God in us, we in God, we become partakers of the divine nature. We move past the pattern of sacrifices and think sacrifices could only atone for sins, but the major sacrifice of Jesus takes away sin. And all of our, again, all of our sins are washed away. And that's a better ministry, a better, a better covenant. It's a new covenant because it reconciles us. We are reconciled through a mediator. Then here's where he emphasizes the new as we go into verses 7 and 8. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This is a quote from the Old Testament, book of Jeremiah, comes from Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 35. Again, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed, and the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. This was in the Old Testament where God promised, made a promise, and who did he make the new covenant with? I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Israel had several tribes that had been moved into exile into the Babylonian captivity. They were in trouble. And Judah, the tribes of Judah, were on the brink of being led into exile. It was a dark and terrible time. That was, uh, I believe, 600 years earlier. Yeah, that this prophecy, this promise came 600 years earlier. They were going into a very dark period of exile. And Israel and Judah were divided, even a thousand years earlier in the kings, the time of the kings, Rehoboam, they divided, and they were often at conflicts with each other. And here, when they're going into their exile, they're going into a terrible, dark world. Anybody else in a terrible, dark world? They received a promise from the Lord. Now, we're going to see in, in Hebrews 8 9 that, you know, they did not obey the covenant, so... 
he withdrew from them. And that's what was happening. The Lord had withdrawn from them. But the Lord just couldn't keep himself away from his people as wrong and rebellious and as wicked as they were. And as they're going into their punishment, he, he says, I will make. This was a hope. This was a hope of mercy. This was a hope of it's not over for you yet. There's better coming. And it was also a uniting. It was not just to Israel, not just to Judah, but this offer of a covenant would unite these two as a national promise and that God would restore them as one. And we too had an ancient divide, mankind from the Lord. And all of this is a copy and a a pattern of what he has made a promise with us. Reconciliation, unity, not just with uh, another tribe in the human race, but unity between the human race and God himself. You can be one with the Lord because of this new covenant, this new thing, this new identity. This is what we had to identify with. And this is what he was saying to the Hebrew Christians in the book of Hebrews. He's saying, you're in this new thing now. Don't identify any longer with the old. Yes, the old is familiar and we want to cling to the old. And sometimes people don't want to give up. Even some people don't want to be healed. You know, Jesus went to the uh, guy at the pool and said, do you want to be well before he healed him? And he made some kind of, well, there's nobody to stir this up. Some people just cling. Not everybody. I'm not saying everybody does. But some people cling to the old because it's what they know what they're familiar with it takes faith to see us as reconciled it takes faith to understand that god's not holding the whip over you that god's not keeping track of all the wrongs that god's got love and goodness and mercy in store for us and uh and that it's not up to us we can't do it ourselves we have to be vulnerable we have to give ourselves to him and say okay i'm in your hands and everything's going to work out so it says, I will make a new covenant. And the interesting thing about this is when it talks the word covenant, the Greek word for covenant that is used in the New Testament is not the same typical Greek word that is used for covenant. The typical Greek word used for covenant looks at both parties as kind of being on equal terms and, and they can both make some uh, amendments or bargainings with the covenant. A covenant is an agreement, a contract. You know, I'm going to make this agreement. And then on equal terms, the other side can say, well, okay, well, we need to adjust this, this, and this, and all that. That's usually what a covenant is is referring to. But the Greek word for covenant in this case, in the New Testament, is always used as only one person being the chief party. And they initiate it, and it's just up to us to either accept it or reject it. It's kind of like a will. It's a, it's an agreement. It's the will. He's, he's saying, this is what I've left you. You can receive it or you can reject it. And, and God took the initiative. See, we are, and, and we are so slippery. You know, we'll be on fire for the Lord some days and some days not. And then we'll have our seasons, and there are people who, start off well, and then they don't finish well, and things like that. And we're just so slippery. And God is the one that initiates, and he's not slippery. His offer, his better covenant, his promise is still there. And he's and just like the rebellious tribes of Israel and Judah, God still had an open offer for them. So maybe you're at a place in your life, you think you've just been too much, and, and you don't know if you can handle or God can handle any more of you, it's it's always there. He's the one that makes this. It's not you that makes it. And he's the one that initiated it even when we were in the darkest hour, the darkest time of need. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much greater love can a man have than he lays down his life for his friends? And yet Jesus laid down his life for his enemies. And you are now in him. If you've received him, if you've taken place in this covenant, you've received all kinds of reconciliation. You're not an enemy of God. You may think that he's always wincing at all your wrong moves, but you're a beloved of God. You're a child of God. And if we were saved as enemies by his death, how much more are we saved as children of God, those who have received and, and entered into this will with him, taken what he's left us? It's a good deal. 
it's a better it's a better covenant. So verse 9 in Hebrews 8, 9, this covenant is not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, says the Lord. Okay, so this is not according to that covenant, that old covenant. So it means it's new. It's not a reinstatement. It's not a, well, we just got to fix some things up. It's a brand new vehicle. It's like, it's not fixing up your old car. It's, it's replacing your car. It's not the same car. You had a Duncan Jalopy, and this is a Rolls Royce. It's a different vehicle. And we have to learn to ride in that different vehicle. Here's what uh, they said after Moses told them about the old covenant. This is according to the covenant. God made a covenant with the fathers. In Exodus 24, 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And that sounds pretty good, right? But they didn't do. They didn't do. And all of this was, uh, you know, it said they disregarded the covenant. They did not do. The covenant he gave them when he took them by the hand out of Egypt, they did not do. They did not have a mediator. And so they were disregarded when they left off. The law has to be fulfilled. There has to be a satisfaction. They could not satisfy it. But the mediator, the mediator has come in and made a new situation in which the law will be satisfied, is satisfied, and has been satisfied because of Jesus, the mediator. He, it's not this we will do, it is now this he has done. Not this we will do, it is now this he has done. He has done it, done it all, but we have to ride in his vehicle. And this is where the new covenant is very helpful. If you can get this, this is very important. Because your Bible is made up of an old covenant and a new covenant. Old Testament, New Testament, right? You have to understand and get in the new vehicle. And what I mean by that is when you are reading the old covenant, you have to know what is the old covenant vehicle what applies to you and what doesn't apply to you, because now some things do not apply to you in that old covenant. For example, uh, Elijah, when the enemies were coming after Elijah on the mountain, he called down fire from heaven and took them out three times. And when the disciples were with Jesus and a village was not going to welcome them and barred them, the di disciples said to Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven? And Jesus said, you know not what spirit you are. That is not, now that Jesus is here, he is enacting the new, he's bringing in the new, it's out with the old. That is the old covenant spirit. You do not pray like Psalm 109, which talks about destroying the enemies and dashing their infants and, and you know, all these, what they call imprecatory psalms where there's such curses put on others. You know not what spirit you are. That was okay for that season, but God has brought in something better, a new covenant where Jesus said to love your enemies and to bless those who curse you. There is a different spirit about the new covenant. And a lot of people will live with a faith in Jesus, but they're still riding in the old vehicle. They are always feeling beaten up, beating themselves up because they feel like, they are not living up to this we will do. And I know there's more I should do, and I know there's more I should be, and, and yet I just can't seem to do it, and it's just a constant nagging that I'm not, I'm not there. Um, I had a woman come to me in China. We had a meeting, and she, she was just blubbering and crying because I think it was a religious thing to do. She was going, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. 
I'm not worthy. And then uh, her two friends who were up there with her, she, they said, would you pray for her? I said, well, what's wrong? And they said, she's not worthy. I said, I can hear that. Uh, and I said, but haven't you been listening to what I was talking about? I was talking about the new covenant, and, uh, and it still hadn't sunk in. And, there's, and she, they said, pray for her because she just feels like she's not holy enough. She's not worthy and everything. And I said to her, look, you cannot make yourself worthy. You cannot be holy enough. Instead of crying and lamenting and saying, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Lift up your hands, worship the Lord, say, thank you, Lord, that you are worthy and that you love unworthy people. And breathe and rejoice and worship and say, hallelujah, because I've got the blessings of the new covenant. I have the blessings of all he's left me in the will. Remember your rich uncle who left you everything in that will? You hardly knew your rich uncle, but he left you all these millions of dollars. But I didn't do enough. I didn't do anything. And I'm not worthy of it. But it's too late. He left you all of this. Are you going to take it? Or are you just going to pretend it doesn't exist? And see, we, we get into this old covenant frame where we just feel so guilty and beaten up down all the time. Uh, you know, and we'll pray things like Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. And that's a beautiful thought and a beautiful devotion. However, in the new covenant, you don't sit there and say, I just have a wicked heart because you're denying the fact that Jesus has put a new heart in you. That was the new covenant. I will put a new heart in them. I will put a new spirit in them. And yes, it seems like you don't have it, but we're not going by feelings. We're going by faith. Your word says, I have a new heart. So what do I do when I feel like creating me a new heart? Well, we have a new covenant principle. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just confess it. If you know you've sinned, confess it. Receive that cleansing. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to go three days before you believe God can hear you and answer your prayers. You just you can keep moving forward. You know, quit making steps back, two steps forward, three steps back. That used to be my story until I got a hold of. I'm living in a new vehicle now. I have a better covenant where it covers me. I have a mediator. And I am unworthy, but God has made me worthy. God is worthy, and this I will do. No, it's not what I will do. It's this he has done. You guys should be shouting all over the place. Well, I know you're shouting in your hearts. Anyway, that's great. So um, that is what brings us to verse 10. And verse 10 says, For... This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their people, and they will be, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Sorry about that. So this is not an outward change. This is not, see, in the last verse, you know, it was, I'll take them by the hand. Here is, I will put them, put my law in their hearts. It's all about what has happened inwardly. It's not about the outward ceremonies, the outward cleansings, the outward... Uh, everything we do, it starts in the heart. It's about a relationship. And God gives us the desire. You know, I said I wanted to be a rock star. At that time, I had no desire to know the Lord. I had a, a little mediocre idea of God, and I... I even said a prayer every night before I went to bed, but I didn't know the Lord, but, and I didn't have any desire to really investigate. But through his different workings, he suddenly put that desire in my heart, and it is a change in the heart. There are people who, who follow the Lord, do everything, they go to church and they do the right things, but the heart sometimes isn't there. If your heart's not there, you've got to remember who this this Lord is. You've got to speak to your heart. David spoke to, spoke to his soul. Why are you downcast on my soul? Sometimes we have to speak to ourselves and say, why are we so cold? Why are we indifferent? The Lord is awesome. The Lord is glorious and he's got everything for me. He's got better promises, better mercies for me and he will be my God. This is a place of hope for all of us. I will be their God. There's another place in Isaiah, I think it's 46, that says, do not fear nor be dismayed. For I am the Lord your God. And uh, what's so great about he being the Lord our God? Everybody has 
a God, believe it or not. You know, even atheists have a God. What is what? Who is your God? Most people in secular cultural realm, their God is self. Self, or maybe they're codependent. Maybe it's a person they love, or or some something is ruling their hearts. You know, in our culture, a lot of people are their own authority. They're the self, and everything must bow to the self. And if you disagree with the self, you're canceled. Who is your God? And maybe their God is money, or maybe it's something else. But how, you know, how much fear and dismay is there in a world full of self-gods? People are anxious, nervous, depressed, going off the rails, doom and gloom, no hope. What's it all about, Alfie? All this stuff because they have the wrong God. And here's God saying, I will be your God. And guess what? You know, if I'm your God, everything's going to work out. Everything's going to go good. doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. You might have some setbacks here and there. But, hey, I'm your God. I've got it all. I'm going to take you to the end, and it's going to all, it's all going to come together. It's all going to work for good to those who love God according and who are called according to his purpose. And we'll be his people. And that doesn't just mean a nod to God kind of thing and, and oh, I'll just give him a, a few minutes a day and whatever. It, it means I belong to someone else now. I'm in a new vehicle. It's not my old earth suit vehicle. It's in the spirit. I belong to Jesus now. I belong to the one who has the victory. I belong to the one who's going to rule and reign forever and he promises I'll rule and reign with him. That's who I get to be a part with. Why would I want myself to be my own God? You know, where's that going to end up? Might give me a little comfort here and there for now, but it's a dead end, and it's worse than that. It falls off the hinge. But we've got a hope. We've got a God that's going to take us up, and that has us in his hands right now, too. And he always lives to intercede for those who love him. This applies to verse 11. From the least of them to the great, greatest. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. And this is something incredible because this totally wouldn't translate to this audience, the, the Jewish Christians. They didn't know, you know, there was a temple, like we talked about the tabernacle, right? There was an outer court where anyone could go, the least. And then there was the holy place where only the priests could go. They were a little bit greater. And then there was the most holy place where only the great high priest could go, and he could go once a year. And that was all ceremonial prestige. Only the high priest could have that access. That was protocol. You could only be in your part of the temple. You could only stay in the outer court if you're not a priest. But here... All of that's removed. In the time of Jesus, you had the scribes, you had the Pharisees, you had the religious order, and they had the prestige, the greatest. But they didn't even know the Lord. You can be 10 years old, and you can know the Lord, and you might have more knowledge, more relationship with the Lord than a seminary professor who's teaching the Bible. How's that so? Because all that stuff could just be head knowledge and could have nothing to do with the heart the least to the greatest, can know God and to be in relationship and to have that highest place. That makes us in a position that's better than the great high priest in the old covenant. That's a new covenant reality. You know, you feel like a worm, you feel down, you're, you're still in the old vehicle. You're under that. But in the new covenant reality, the least to the greatest, I'm the least, I can be the greatest. Better than the great high priest. And I can know the Lord better than the highest paid seminary professor who doesn't have a heartfelt relationship and who's following him in faith. You know, I hear lots of things coming from Christian schools that my jaw drops and I think, what in the world are they teaching? It, it's just like, what's going on? And I guess it, it boils down to, are these, are, is there a spiritual relationship? Or are we just all spinning the theological wheels? And you say, well, how do, I, how do you help my heart? How do you help me know him better? It's by considering these things, as we've looked at in the past chapters. It's by dwelling on these things and praying 
but the least of the greatest, we have the access. I had a big preacher, local guy, say, hey, call me sometime. You'll get in touch with my secretary. And it's like, I know where that's going to go. And then I had another, a big preacher say, hey, do you, do you have my number? He gave me his cell phone number. I thought, wow, that's, that's really special. I got his cell phone number. I don't have to call his secretary. And that's what God has opened up for us. We, we can go right in the least of the greatest. And it doesn't mean that you don't need teaching. You know, I believe this is referring to the old order. They needed the priests to go before them, and the priests were the big, big potatoes, the head honchos that would say, here's how, and all this stuff. In the Jewish uh, tradition, they needed rabbis. In the, in the Gnostics, the Essenes, the Gnostics, they were the ones who had the secret knowledge of God. You had to get into their secret order to know the Lord. And then the, the popes and the priests and all these things having to go through the higher-ups to learn from them. Even in the dark ages, they didn't have the word of God for themselves, so they had to rely on priests and things. All you need is the word, and there are there's a place for teachers in the church. Paul writes about that in the book of Ephesians. So it's just talking about you have the access, you have the ability to be close to God. You don't need to go through a mysterious figure, a rabbi or a pope or anything like that. And you can be as close to God as you want to be if you're five years old or 50 years old or 500 years old. Amen. So verse 11. Oh, that was verse 11. Let's finish up. Verse 12 and 13. Coming in for the landing. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The first thing he says is, I will be merciful to their un unrighteousness and their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. There's a difference between unrighteousness and your sins and lawless deeds. And this is, this is what gives me such a comfort and a blessing. You see, most people can take care of their sins and lawless deeds. You become a Christian, you know how to quit doing the hard stuff. You know how to turn from obvious sins most of the time. Um, but it's the unrighteous part. The unrighteous part that haunts us. We know ourselves too well. What's the unrighteous part? It's every blunder, every move, fleshly move. It's not really done with the right motive. It's not 100% spiritual. It's not, it's not what it should be. It's, so, it's lacking in what perfection God would have for me. Every blunder, everything that's of the flesh, whatever's not 100%, there's the problem. I mean, we can get rid of the sins and lawless deeds for the most part, but it's this unrighteousness that we sense in ourselves sometimes he will be merciful to that merciful that means he's not going to abandon us like those in israel in verse 9 says they disregarded the covenant and he disregarded them no he says i will be merciful to your unrighteousness and that makes me that means I don't have to agree with the enemy when the enemy says you're worthless and how can God love you and how can God ever bless you? I, I, uh, I think this is one of the greatest things in the new covenant that we are not bound to the law and that old thing was becoming obsolete and ready to vanish away. He says, I'll remember your sins no more. If he forgets our sins, why do you keep remembering them? Some people are stuck in their past. I can't believe I did this. It comes back to haunt me and It'll drag me to the end. God's forgotten them. Why don't you forget them? Get in the new vehicle. We are in a better vehicle. Stop living according to the old. That has been done with. He has forgotten everything. It's a new thing. It's new, a new beginning. Every day can be a new beginning in the new covenant. That's the good news. That's why it's called good news, because you can be new. And it's, it's done. He remembers them no more. And your unrighteousness, he's merciful to. That frees us up to love him, to, to just worship him. And when we do this, when we're free from these things, 
the old is vanishing away. The obsolete is gone. The law is done. And we are free and we'll grow more excited about the Lord and we'll do better in our walk with the Lord by accident than we ever tried so hard to under the old covenant with such grit and determination. It's all about grace. It is about grace. Everything has been accomplished for us by grace. And also grace is not just that everything's been accomplished, but grace is what carries you. The grace is what carries you because there is mercy to your unrighteousness. He will not be unmerciful. That grace carries you. And when you understand that that grace is for you, that becomes a power in your life to live by that grace and gets you growing spiritually in the things of God and where he puts more of his desires in your heart than you ever had before because now it's a matter of love and not have to. It's not a matter of I will do. It's what Jesus did. And that's the good news. The old was getting obsolete and vanishing away. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, are you going to get in on the new? Because you better get off that ship. That ship is sinking. Okay? Get in with the new. And I can say the same thing. This world is growing old. And this world will vanish away. Are you getting in with the new? Are you going to be a part of that new thing and enjoy and be filled with the wonder, awe, and love of God because it's the grace of God that has made the way and that gives the strength to overcome by faith. That's a good deal. It's, a, it's the hope of a better covenant, and it's better because it's new. We value new things, and every day is a new day. God never gets old. He is eternal. He is the Ancient of Days, but he never gets old. And it says in uh, Psalm 103 that he renews our youth like eagles. Your youth can be renewed. And daily your youth can be renewed. But it's all a matter of not what you do, but what you believe. Do you believe all this? Do you believe that it's all taken care of? And that there's nothing but love in God's heart for us. And that you don't have to measure up. He's got it taken care of. That'll change your heart. You'll want to but you're not under that pressure now. And then he'll transform you by that and put you on a track that is already destined for glory. That's a good deal. The new covenant, a better covenant. Out with the old, in with the new. Lord, thank you that you give us new life. Thank you that you are always about what's best for us. Help us to be about what's best in your mind. Help us to walk in sync with that. Thank you, Lord, for all the mercy that has accompanied us past, present, and in the days ahead. Thank you for your mercy. We, we rejoice in you. We thank you, Lord, for your love and your goodness. And we thank you that you are seeing us through to what we have to become and that it's all a blessing. Lord, give us strength in these days ahead and help us to see past the pattern. Give us eyes to see. Open the eyes of our heart. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and draw us by your heavenly glories and your great love. In Jesus' name, amen.